Hello, Saving Ocean Wildlife podcast listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Saving Ocean Wildlife podcast, where today I will have a very special guest on. I will have Ed Lyman from Hawaiian Islands National Marine Sanctuary. I am super excited to have him on the podcast today as he will talk to Laura and I about the upcoming webinar for Saving Ocean Wildlife, as well as his work at Hawaiian Islands National Marine Sanctuary. I hope you guys like the podcast. Ed, you have a pretty exciting job. So how did you get into this kind of work in the first place? Yeah, Pete, uh, it was a circuitous route here. Uh, I actually was hired by a little nonprofit back east, uh, New England, to uh, actually address stranded marine mammals. Uh, in the wintertime, the pilot whales coming up in Cape Cod and, and some dolphins. They'd had a couple of episodes there, mass strandings. So it was one of the reasons I was hired. But that slowed down about the time that I showed up, that I took that position. And what happened instead were more whales were getting entangled in gear, especially those North Atlantic right whales, you know, a species that was on the brink of it and still is on the brink of extinction. So my role changed. I became the first apprentice to the few people, like one of these epicenters of response, uh, disentanglement response, or we'd like to say entanglement response. Okay, that's fantastic. So what kind of made you want to go into this work? And it's a very unique field, obviously. And like, did you have like an aha moment or is this something you've always wanted to do since you were a kid? Gotcha. No, another, another good question, Pete. Well, you know, I wanted to work with marine mammals, position myself uh, in that, at that nonprofit. At least that's one of those main starting points there. Um, and uh, basically what happened was one day they were the two, the two people, Dr. Story Mayo and Dave Matilla, who were the pioneers one of those epicenters of entanglement response for the large whales, they were shorthanded and they asked me to join them in a smaller boat, the approach boat. And I guess I did okay. And, and, you know, you have to admit it's, it's very gratifying to have that hands-on to save an animal. You know, I know a lot of people want to do that and uh, it's gratifying. Um, and then I've, I've learned over time that there was much more to the effort than that. And I just hinted to you, we now call it entanglement response as opposed to disentanglement because there's a lot of science behind it and we can't save every whale. And that's what I've learned. That's my aha moment, I guess. Um, We've got to do, you know, that we've got to figure out what's going on so we can reduce the threat. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the biggest thing, reducing what's going to happen because in the the reality, there are the fishing nets out there. There are Mm -hmm. massive ships and these are to, if it's for the ships, at least those are massive creatures and massive vessels out in an area where accidents are going to happen, right? Exactly. And yet their size does not protect them, even though no. they're big animals, you know, for a humpback whale, let's say, you know, we're talking 45 feet, even a little longer, 40 tons in weight. Yeah. And yet they still can be impacted, whether it's the entanglement or the ship strike that you might be alluding to mm-hmm. there, those risks are still there. Yeah, Absolutely. Laura, do you want to take the next question here? Yeah, Ed, you know, it was such a pleasure to get to go to Hawaii this year and, and, and meet you and, and get to talk to you and hear more about your stories. And it sounds like 
as you just explained to me, you know, the whales are only in Hawaii half the year, right? They're up in Alaska right now. They're going to start making their way back down in, in the fall. So what does a typical day look like for you? I mean, it must be different depending on the time of year, but could you give us an idea sort of what your day looks like with this job? Gotcha, Laura. And you're right. It, it does vary. I just came back from Alaska, kind of migrated early, but you know, the expertise that we have, we share it. I mean, that's, that's the way you're going to solve the problem back to, you know, right. how do we reduce this threat and sharing and gaining information from each other. So I just returned, but now let's say, just pick this time frame. Here we are coming up on the humpback whale season, the whale season in Hawaii, there's humpback whales, especially, and we down here to breed, give birth, uh, nurse their young. Uh, we're preparing for that season. So there'll be a lot of trainings and outreach and and uh, looking over the gear and, and, and on top of that, you know, there's that response training, that response preparedness. And that goes towards, you know, maybe getting that report that there's an entangled whale and maybe the conditions and the resources are such that we can help that individual whale. But then there's that, again, that science side of it where that whale that we respond to or many other whales that we get reports on or just overall doing research I mean, I'll give you an example. One of the other things that I might do on a given day is go out on the sanctuary boat and monitor the animals, look at their health, look at their risk assessment. Things like, do they have a ship strike scar on them? What is the impact of that ship strike that occurred on the animal? Sure. Um, it, does that animal have a, a line scar on it? Or how, what percentage of, that's what it really comes down to, is what percentage have line scars and what do those line scars, those entanglement scars, tell us about entanglement threat. And it's only a piece of the puzzle, always. All the work we might do is just a little piece because think about the scarring. I mean, those are the animals that got out of it on their own. Those are just a part of the population. What about the ones that fell victim to entanglement? Yeah, so, those are the lucky ones, right? So it's a mix of preparing for response, responding, you know, waiting, you know, having your phone ready to right. wait for that call to come in, okay? And then doing the research and the monitoring to have a finger on the pulse for the overall population. Yeah, no, absolutely. So another question, you mentioned that you go from Alaska to Hawaii, not a very difficult life you got there, um, but do you see a particular area, whether it's in Alaska or do you see a particular area in Hawaii where you're seeing more entanglements or more ship strikes? We do, Pete, we do. Um, you know, but we have to be careful here because the effort side is so critical here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting the reporting in. And so there is a bit of a bias probably here. It's where people are, as yeah. well as the whales, where those entangled whales are and where the community lies. And boy, this is, um, you hit upon a really big point here. And that is we need the community. And I'm not saying we want the community to go out and cut whales free. That's the last thing I would do. I've, I've done this long enough. I know the risks are involved. I know that people care. Mm -hmm. uh, but boy, it's not something that's easy to do to cut the 40, again, let's say a humpback whale, 40 ton animal free. Yeah. You know, they don't always know you're there to help them, but people can report and stand by and give us the initial assessment. They can be in a sense, first responders. Okay. okay. So there is that bias, but where people are first responders and where whales are, we tend to get more reports. Gotcha. And that's big. That's huge for us. No, absolutely. One of our missions at Saving Ocean Wildlife is to create partnerships to protect ocean wildlife. And the biggest partnership to help you guys is just raising awareness about the people in those communities to help protect those animals and let you guys know when they see an entangled animal, right? 
Exactly. I mean, again, we're working together as a team. I mean, Absolutely. It's great. It's grassroots. You know, yeah, there's the, the government's there and they're, and boy, they've, they've taken a role in oversight and helping with some funding and, and things of that nature, you know, and help protect us, the, um, the responders, the public, uh, the industries out there and the whales. I mean, it's really, this threat is very broad, is very broad based. I mean, it's, sure. it's, it's animals, but it's humans as well, you know? So, and I like to say to the community, I, I, I do say this, that let us help you help mm -hmm. the animals. Because really, it is that way. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so foundational. I mean, if we if we don't get a report from someone in the community, and because almost always that's the way it is. I mean, we're not spending money with being flights. out there, right? You're exactly. not out there looking for the entanglements, right? right? That would be inefficient use of the taxpayers' money. <laughs> right? no, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think they would look at us, but they, the taxpayers, the public, can take a role. And just, sure. you know, and it could be opportunistic. I'm not saying go out and spend your weekend looking for an entangled whale. Hey, that's a needle in a haystack. One big needle, oh, yeah. also a big haystack. But if you're out there, you're a, you're a tour boat operator, you're a whale researcher, um, you're a fisherman. Hey, we've, some of the gear is fishing gear, but fishermen are also, they're part of the team. They're part yeah. of the solution. And anyone, I would just say, just keep an eye out. And there are certain things to look for. And it's not always the rope over the back or the gear trailing behind. There are other indices out there and you don't have to be a biologist. I mean, it's, sure. it's basic things like the coloration of this body might look off. It might look lighter colored. The skin will look rougher. Uh, a lot of whales that are compromised will have these, well, a lot of them have whale lice, the cyamid amphipods on them. And okay. those whale lice will overpopulate the whale. So you'll see patches of different colored whale lice on the body of the whale. Those wow. are all indicators that something is wrong with the animal. And wow. a second look, but staying safe and legal, not getting too close, hmm. you know, keep yourself safe. And, and again, legal, because sometimes there's rules about getting too close to whales in different regions. Keep your distance and you can still help us out a great deal. You know, be, your, be the first responders. Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about first responders and how you've been doing rescues. So do you have a particular rescue that you would say is more, most memorable to you? Boy, Pete, a lot of them are, um, each okay. one, you know, exactly. But I'm going to, there's one that's about what, eight years ago now was down here in Hawaii. Um, and it played out just what we were just discussing a tour boat operator. Um, it's actually it, a tour, uh, several tour boat operators, report this entangled humpback calf, okay? okay? We respond and they stand by, they hold on, so to speak, hold on to the calf. You know, again, safe distance. Yeah, so that we don't Maybe lose can it. Can I interrupt you there for a yeah, second? Laura. What do you mean by standby for our listeners yeah. here? Maybe not as familiar with the rescue. What does Got that it. mean? Perfect, yeah. I mean, you know, keep an eye on the whale until we get there. You, you oh. know, they've made the call and maybe called directly. They called the hotline, they called the sanctuary. Maybe they called the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard relayed the message, but it's going to take us the team, that team that's trained and well-equipped and has experience. And, and again, it's not just myself and the team that we have here at the Humpback Whale Sanctuary in Kihei, Maui. There's mm -hmm. teams distributed along the West Coast in Alaska and, and throughout the islands here in Hawaii. Okay, these people with their gear ready to go, but they need the report and it's going to take them time to get there. And these large whales entangled, they're needles in a haystack. I mean, they're mo a lot of them have ripped the gear off the ocean floor and are mobile. 
So mm -hmm. if we don't have someone watching it yeah. at a safe distance and a legal distance, almost always we'll respond. And I would say probably up like 95% of the time, we do not find that whale that day. Wow. We wait for the next report. Wow. So it's, so it's really critical, key. right? It is critical that you have the first responders that can stay with that whale because it could take you, depending on where you are at the moment, you know, what if you're at a Costco, right? <laughs> you got to right. get home. Yeah. You have to load all your gear to your car. You got to get your other members of the team out there. It could take you an hour or two, right? I mean, yep. depending on where exactly. the whale is. Our average is probably an hour and a half to two hours to okay. the animal. That's good. I mean, we do really yeah, well. Fantastic. We're not the Coast Guard. Yeah. This, I mean, this we, isn't driving up the Pacific Coast Highway. This is finding, getting in a boat, going out into the open ocean. Yep. Sometimes miles offshore, I'm sure. Yep. to find a whale and it's very exactly. difficult well and thank you for explaining that Ed. that's that's critical because it, especially if yeah. you spend the time to put your team together to get the gear to get out there and then no one's been tracking the whale so you're just who knows which did it go north south east or west we have no exactly. idea exactly yep it's the search box gets too big too fast yeah. yeah and then what happens too is we we tire ourselves out or i've been there's been times where we're out looking for one whale that we're you know no one stood by yeah. And then another report comes in and now we're going, oh, crap. And that's on another island. And now, sure. you know, and now you can't respond. Now you're, you're not going to get back and jump on a plane in time to make it to the other island. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a critical role. I mean, sure. again, that on water community, it's everything from the reporting, the assessment that we need early on to again, monitoring the animal or standing by um, and taking pictures. Pictures help us quite a bit. I mean, again, safely, um, right. don't get too close. Right. And yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to take you off from the rest of your story there. I just, thanks for clarifying oh, right. that for our listeners. Yep. So these, these uh, tour boat operators did exactly what we were talking about. Um, I think they took turns, you know, cause now they know the team, they're a team, they're part of the team. Uh -huh. So here on off Maui, they, you know, I run down to that boat and that boat's loaded with my gear. I turn the radio on and I hear on the radio, Oh, this is ultimate whale watch we're gonna we're on the whale right now we're waiting for the sanctuary and the rest of the team to show up but we can take it for 20 minutes but it sounds like pacific whale foundation or pack whale is going to take over after us uh, ocean odyssey will take over but then right. great white that's one of the raft boats you know so mm -hmm. the they're all organizing themselves to take turns to to maintain that monitoring yeah. role absolutely uh, that's so a fantastic it. thing about community like you were talking about that exactly you need to promote so, for sure and totally appropriate it's safe for them to do so. Keep your distance. Uh, the, the the passengers on board love it. They're part of the effort as well. <laughs> so nothing, it, it doesn't hurt them in any way. I mean, it's like probably one of the best whale watch trips they've ever had, you know, yeah. being part of a response like that. So in this case, though, that worked out and we got there. And it so happened that the knife we were using, these uh, hook knives that are dull on the outside, sharp on the inside, we weren't getting to the wrap around the calf because the calf, had been growing so quickly and was wrapped so tight that the blubber was actually going around the line. So it was embedded a little bit. Oh, no. So the knife was bumping past it. And we're like, oh man, we can't cut, the, can't cut the calf free. We don't have the right tool. So what we did is we ran, well, we had to leave the calf um, that day. We tried and didn't get it off. We ran back and um, one of the team made a new knife. It was sharp on both sides. We figured we had to cut a little bit into the calf to get to that wrap that was considered life-threatening, wow. okay? So then the calf gets reported again a couple days later by, an, by two other uh, tour boat operators. They stand by, we respond, and this time with the new knife, 
and a little help from mom. Mom was resting at depth, so she stayed away from us a little bit, and the calf came up by itself because it can't hold their breath as long. Mm-hmm. And we just kept nudging the boat a little closer. Every time the calf came up to take a breath, keeping it would always tilt down, looking at mom, making sure mom didn't go anywhere. <laughs> and one time, after about an hour or so, we were close enough as the calf came up to catch its breath, we reached out and made that cut. It was pretty precision. I think wow. we cut only like an inch and a half of the calf and wow. caught that wrap, cut it, and it, it exploded off the calf. I mean, oh, that's awesome. Yep. It just one frame of the camera that was on the pole next to the knife captured the, the line exploding off the calf. And it was monofilament. Mm-hmm. So whereas we didn't get it, remember, we wanted, we wanted to cut that calf free and we wanted to get data. We wanted to find out what that line was, maybe where it came from. How did the calf get entangled? And so we might not have gotten all the information there, like we didn't get the gear in our hands, mm-hmm. but we did capture the, the, what it was. We know it was monofilament, heavy monofilament, and uh, we gained some information. So we cut the calf free and we gained a little bit of information towards that mitigation, reducing threat. Well, and what was the diameter of that, Ed, uh, uh, around? Like monofilament's really just, thin, isn't it? Yeah, it was just like millimeters. But see, the millimeters. monofilament's really dangerous. It's still strong enough, okay? And mm-hmm. it's small enough diameter that it actually cuts very readily. That's It's actually, in some ways people think, oh, the heavy gauge line, that's, mm-hmm. that's more dangerous, a greater breaking strength. But as long as the gear is, um, as long as the breaking strength is beyond what the whale can break. Right. It's that's it. You know, it doesn't matter right. if it's that much more, you know. Right. Um, right. and then the small diameter just slices and dices. Now, here's the good news. Here's the happy ending. Here's why I like this story. It had all the ingredients, you know. We had multiple efforts and and the community helped us. It it would not have been cut free without the community's help. Right. Um, we had that new tool, um, perseverance and patience all coming into play. And we we save a baby whale. I mean, no doubt. I mean, it's emotional. I mean, wow. I, I'll admit to you, it's, you know, Absolutely. it touched me a little bit. And uh, then for a month afterwards, the happy ending, they were seeing the calf. The wrap had not cut it. So it was just pinched in. So it was not a cut in the end. Oh, that wow. was good. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I know the boats had a mile eye. We're calling it ringer, little nickname mm-hmm. for the calf, because it had a, a mark around the body. And the boats out of Lahaina Maui were calling it hula hoop. So, <laughs> so that's, that's cool stuff. That's a great story about people coming together and yet letting people that have the right tools and, and resources and training uh, do the job too, you know, no, not absolutely. taking that. Yeah. Absolutely. So great story there. Now going forward mm-hmm. to the webinar, what do our listeners have uh, to look forward to? What are some of the topics you're going to highlight? Gotcha. Well, we're going to we're going to cover the roles that's involved in that entanglement response, large whale entanglement response. We are going to tell them how we go about cutting a large whale free from a life-threatening entanglement. Um, and then more importantly, though, you know, that's background information in some ways, because we're not, the webinar will not be a training on how to cut large whales free. It's yes. the background to let them know their value of that first responder role. Because again, that's the foundation of the efforts. So we're going to cover a lot on What's involved in being a first responder? Why is it so important? And to some degree, the um, our um, our outcomes, what we've gained from that role, because mm-hmm. it's not like this isn't going on. People do help us. People have helped us. Um, 
but we need more help. We do. Uh, I'm noticing that things are changing. I mean, there's a lot of changes out there. Um, we've seen that with COVID and we're seeing maybe whale researchers not having all the money or not being able to go out. And they were an important resource in sightings. Some of the tour boat operators are not getting out there as often or maybe not as many trips, things like that. So we, we're seeing a different group of people getting out in the water and we need to reach that group as well. You sure. know, here in Hawaii, it might be people that are getting their own kayak or stand-up border. And it really doesn't matter if you're out there and you come across an entangled whale. I know it might be harder to have your phone with you if you're stand-up boarding, but hey, as soon as you get back, make the call. You know, there's yeah. again, there's hotlines. Call your call the local Coast Guard station; they'll relay the call. So that's what we're we're about. It's it's covering mainly that first responder role and and the fact that this is a team effort, and we need that team. We need the role of the community as appropriate to help us out and help the animals. Sure. Sure. So is there anything else that uh, Laura and I haven't asked that you think the listeners should know either about the, about the uh, webinar or just your work in general to wrap it up here? Well, I know I, I like, I mentioned that people do help us. That's a, in, here in Hawaii, it's mahalo. Thank you. Yeah. Um, oh, there because you go. It means so much. People ask me, you know, what's the best thing about your job or, or and there's many, right. Mm. But you know, it has that hands-on. It, it is saving whales, but I'll tell you, it's working with people. That's the answer I'll almost always give is nothing beats working with that community, working with a group of people to have that outcome, you know, at, by, by having that teamwork to save a whale, gain some information towards reducing it and keep people safe. That's pretty cool stuff. You know, it's always fun to work with people. So absolutely. Well, yeah. this was fantastic. Thank you so much, Ed. And everyone, please keep an eye out for the webinar. We hope you guys will join us there. And I'd keep up the fantastic work out there in Hawaii. Yeah, thank you, Ed. The whales, thank you. And we all thank you. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks, Laura. Thank you, Pete.